0: The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Lord Jesus Christ, let's find our Bibles and go to John chapter number four. John chapter number four, and we'll continue to uh, sing and rejoice in the resurrection. But I want to lead you through a a thought, a a thought pattern here this morning, and I want to talk about this matter of Jesus caring for you. You know, have you ever heard someone say something along the lines of, I couldn't care less? How many of you have ever heard something like that before? Now, how many of you have ever, no, don't, don't, don't admit to it. You know, sometimes we get into a situation where, uh, you know what, someone's saying something and you're like, you know, I just don't care about this. And they're going on and on and I, I just don't care about this. And, and we have those thoughts and it's not, it's not great. But the fact is, you know, it happens from time to time. But don't we live in a world where it seems like uh, in, in some ways our world is beginning to lose its its heart, its, its ability to care? Uh, some of the things that we've even heard in our local area of, of mothers towards their children, it, it, some of these things you're thinking, have we lost our care, have we lost our natural care? I remember the, uh, the children's song that once in a while is, is quoted, everybody hates me, nobody loves me, I might as well go eat worms, something like that. And then it goes on to say big ones, juicy ones, and then it's kind of gross after that. And it's just gotten really nice. But you know what, no matter what goes on in the world around us, no matter who you have faced in your life, no matter whether that's a spouse, or no matter whether that's a co-worker, no matter who it is that you've experienced a careless attitude, we can remember, and we do well to remember this morning, that Jesus cares For us, And I want you to notice in John chapter 5, in verse number 1, I'm going to read a portion of Scripture that will help us to understand. The Bible says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on a hill, so anywhere you went to Jerusalem, you always went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda having five porches and these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind of halt of withered of waiting for the moving of the water and for an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had and all of a sudden where is that I have arthritis, I want to go, you know, <laughs> and, and that's, this was a, a special place. Verse number five, and a certain man was there, which had an infirmity 30 and eight years. He'd been sitting there 38 years, Rem- just put yourself in that situation. Imagine going to doctors for 38 years and not getting answers. Verse number six, and when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case he said uh, uh, saith unto him will thou be made whole let's say that together will thou be made whole the impotent man answered him and uh, answered him sir I have no man when the when the water is troubled to put me into the pool but while I am coming another steppeth down before me Jesus saith unto him rise take up thy bed and walk and immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. Notice it says, and immediately that man was made whole, not by the, the troubling of the waters, but by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is key. And so I want us to realize this morning that Jesus does indeed care. He comes to Bethesda, this pool Bethesda, and the word Bethesda means house of mercy, house of mercy. We have a hospital in Washington, D.C. that's named a- after Bethesda house of mercy. But yet Jesus was going to come to this place that was a house of mercy, very painful for this man because he could not achieve wholeness. He, no matter what he did, he was not able to get there. What a picture of us in our lives. He was not able to get there. And Jesus came there to show him mercy. I want you to notice that Jesus cares for helpless people. Jesus cares for helpless people. Did you notice when we were reading, when Jesus asked him, "Wilt thou be made whole? Is that not almost like an insult in a way? Uh, I'm, I'm here. I want to be made whole. I'm at the place of wholeness. I'm at where everyone else comes and waits for wholeness. And you're asking me if I want to be made whole. Don't you see that I'm here? What, what, a, what a hard question to ask. But Jesus had a reason. And notice what the man says, sir, I have no man. Say that out loud with me. Sir, I have no man. Now think about that. Think about this man who who felt so helpless. He couldn't get to the pool. He couldn't move in any way. He was lame. That's what impotent means. He was lame. He was dependent on the mercies of others. Yet no one said, you know, I'll help you. I've been here less time than you. I'll help you along. No one said that this man was absolutely helpless. And more than that, this man in culture in that day would have been uh, a considered cursed of God. You say, why? Because those with handicap, though in this day we try to provide and provide ways for them to, to get along in society, not in that day, they were considered to be cursed of God and that they had committed some sin that brought upon this curse. And so that's how all of culture looked at him. They just kind of looked at him like, uh, you're just second class. They did not treat them well. They were very discriminated in that culture. And so as this man was sitting there, he was dependent on those that would have mercy on him, yet he was despised by the culture. And truly, he was a helpless man. if you think about it, this man could offer nothing to Jesus. This man would likely have been a beggar, begging for the food and the clothing that he would, uh, would need to just sustain life. And so he was absolutely penniless. He could not give anything to Jesus. He could not help Jesus in any way. He, could not, uh, he did not have the status in society to proclaim Jesus and to appoint others to Jesus. He had absolutely nothing to give to Jesus. Yet Jesus came and uh, helped him and cared for him as a helpless individual. One of the things that we all need to understand is how helpless we are before a holy God. Every last one of us is born into this world, are helpless before a holy God. We have nothing we can give back to God. In fact, Psalm 116, verse number 12, says it this way, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? How many of you um, drew breath today? Some of you aren't aren't decided, right? Uh, We have mannequins in here? No, you're drawing breath today. You're breathing. You got up. It's a beautiful day, folks. It was cold this week. It was 34, the frost was on the windows, and the, uh, the, the daffodils are all getting frosted over. You know, it was cold, but God gave us a beautiful day. All the benefits that God has given you. You were born in America, or you live here. You say, I don't like it very much right now. Hey, listen, you are still very, very blessed to live in a country like this. You're blessed to be out, we're blessed to be together, praise God, we're we're blessed people. What can we give back to God for all that he's given to us? The answer is nothing. In fact, God says in the Psalms that if he were hungry, he doesn't come and ask you. Kids, he doesn't come and ask you for food. He doesn't ask you to give up your your bag of candy that you're going to have today. He doesn't need it. He needs nothing from us. And the fact of the matter is, we can give nothing back to God. This guy could give nothing back to Jesus Christ, yet Jesus still cared for him. And Jesus still cares for you. He cares for you deeply. You say, I don't know about that. That hasn't been proven. Listen, you have life today. The very fact that God, he has presented himself as a consuming fire, as a holy God that judges sin. The very fact that you are still drawing breath and you're alive today to hear this message from the Bible is an act of mercy from God. And friends, today, Jesus cares for you. Boy, does he care for you. But I want you to notice he cares for helpless people, but also sinful people. Notice a little later in this uh, chapter, in verse number 14, it says, afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple. By the way, he went to the temple and he kind of stirred things up because the religious leaders didn't like anyone taking attention away from them, the Pharisees. And so now Jesus is kind of the, the main center of attention in town, because he's healed this man, and that he healed him on the Sabbath day, and they had very uh, great restrictions on, sabb- on the Sabbath day. They couldn't even walk um, over a certain amount of, uh, of steps on the Sabbath day, and so they were very, very upset. And so Jesus comes and afterwards finds him there in the temple, and he, say, uh, he, uh, he finds him and said unto him, Behold... Thou art made whole. Sir, you've been made whole. And it, didn't, it wasn't a wholeness that came over an amount of time. He said he did not say over the next five years you're going to be made whole. In an instant, Jesus makes him whole. And by the way, Jesus does the same thing for us spiritually uh, today. In an instant, he can make you whole. And then what does he say? Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus that made him whole. Now, I want you to think about this. Some people suggest in this case, there are are times where Jesus healed people in Scripture, and he was asked the question, did he sin and have this come upon him? And Jesus said, no, this was for the glory of God. God allowed this for his glory. And in this situation, Jesus specifically tells them, listen, you don't go on living in sin. Or a worse thing come upon you. Some scholars believe that that perhaps uh, he he had sinned and in this particular case it was brought on because of sin. Regardless, do you know what Jesus notes? This is the presence of sin in his life. And his need to be aware of that. You know, you can never come and find wholeness in Jesus Christ until you are first aware of your own sinfulness before a holy God. You say, I'm not, I'm not sinful friends you you get that statement in your life because you've compared yourself to somebody else in life but you failed to compare yourself to god who is absolutely holy he he dwells in complete light and there is no darkness in him at all not one you say well i only tell white lies friends white lies before god are absolute deceit they're wrong and no matter what it is no matter how small no matter how you rationalize it before a holy god we're all sinners today Every one of us. And Jesus notes in this man the presence of sin. And you know what? I find that the presence of sin is found very early on in life. Very early on. Sometimes we don't even realize it. Last night, I was getting my youngest daughter ready for bed. And I love the fact that I'm a parent right now, and there's all sorts of great illustrations, okay? Last night, give me the picture of Savannah. This was taken the other day. She is just, she's two, she's cute, she knows it. And uh, she's also finding out that she consents. You know what? I bring her back to the bedroom, getting her ready for bed. And uh, it was just her and I in uh, in there. Sheila was out in the living room, could overhear. I I, I change her diaper. I I set her up. I said, it's time for bed. And she looks at me and says, Mommy said, do not take a nap. (laughs) Just like that. And she had the hand motion and the foot stomp together you know what that was? That was a bold-faced lie out of a two-year-old. She puts words in mom's mouth. And the fact is, sin is in us from the beginning. We sin because we're sinful, because we have a sin nature. You say, well, no, you know, my two-year-old won't sin. Listen, just, just come on now. You, you either make that statement because it's your first child... Or you haven't, you haven't come to the light and they, they haven't destroyed something in your home that you realize, you know, they, they, are, they are little sinners. In fact, David said, were well, you born from the womb speaking lies? So I don't like that. Listen, there's a, a child gets fed. Mom puts them down and, uh, and immediately leaves the room. Nothing's wrong. Their, their diapers change. They have all the food that they need. Leaves the room and screams bloody murder. What a little liar. <laughs> it's a reality. We sin because we're sinners. Now, there's such a thing as the age of accountability where they come to realize their sin before a holy God, and that takes some time. But the fact is, the presence of sin is in our lives from the get-go. And it's amazing to me that adults will go through their whole life saying, I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad. Listen, you have not yet realized that before a holy God, Jesus sees sin in us. Could I urge you this morning not to repel that, but to say, you know what? You see everything. God sees everything. Yeah, I'm a sinner too. I'm a sinner too. And so here we have a man that, that had sin in him. And Jesus says, go on, live in your wholeness. Live out of your wholeness that I have given you. We are sinful in the eyes of a holy God. The Bible says that Jesus did not come to call the, the whole to uh, healing. He came to call those that were broken and sick and sinful to repentance. It says in the book of Matthew, the wisest man in all the world, Solomon, King Solomon said, "There's a, not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not." So all of us are sinners before a holy God, and how we need to realize that Jesus cares for helpless people, but Jesus cares for sinful people. And while the world might tell us, "Oh, church is a place of judgment." Realize it's not a place of judgment. It's a place where you can find true healing, but you have to realize first, I have cancer before I can find healing. I have sin before I can find wholeness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus cares for your soul. As we watched that video a few moments ago, uh, my heart is moved as I see the compassion and care uh, toward the woman at the well, that Samaritan woman. What an amazing exchange that that was. The Bible tells us that Jesus loves He surely does. In John chapter number four, we see that throughout that chapter, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this woman. The Bible says in John 13 and verse number 34, a new commandment I give unto you, to those that were his disciples, those that believed on him, that ye love one another. Now notice, he does not tell us to love without giving himself as an example, as I have loved you. Boy, that's, that's huge love. Because we, as we heard a moment ago, He loved us with the cross. You say, does Jesus love me? Yes, He does. He proved it 2,000 years ago on Golgotha, on Calvary's Hill. He loved you with the cross, but God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners against Him, sinning against Him, He died for us is what it says. John 15 and verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the ultimate sacrifice, as we would say. The ultimate sacrifice. And Jesus gave up his life for you and me. If you already believe on him, I encourage you on this day, let his love, let his love just reassure your heart. Let his love ignite your passion for him. Let it ignite devotion in your life towards him. If you've been far away from Jesus Christ, let his love draw you back. If you don't know Jesus yet, Let his love draw you to uh, draw you to him in salvation. He loves you. Now, notice in John chapter four and verse number three, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Let's get that on on the map for a second. Let's um, figure out where he's going. He's going up from uh, from Judea. That's down where Jerusalem is. And he's going to go all the way up to the Sea of Galilee at the top beyond Samaria. Samaria kind of. was a halfway point in between Judea, Jerusalem, and all up in Galilee. Samaria is right in the middle. And it's an amazing thing. We find that he goes through Samaria. In fact, in verse number four, he says he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. Now, I can think of some cities that I don't uh, particularly like going through. Uh, I went to college in Wisconsin. And when I went to college, it required me to always go through Chicago. I don't have anything against people of Chicago. I have everything to, against their traffic. Right? I don't like it. I, and I don't. I, I, it was a great day when I was done with college, and I did not have to go through Chicago all the time. You could go through there at midnight, and they'll have the roads shut down. It's just an amazing, amazing thing. And so uh, there's some cities I, I don't prefer to go through. Jesus says He must needs go through Samaria. Why, Jesus? Why do you need to go through Samaria? Because He loves people wherever they are. You say, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Samaria was populated by what they would say in that day, half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. And the Jewish people, all oh, they hated the region of Samaria. They, they, didn't, they weren't worried about the traffic in Samaria. They were worried about the people in Samaria. They did not like the people. You talk about discrimination, they had it towards the people of Samaria. Samaria. And so that's how they felt. They didn't go through there. So when Jesus was talking to his Jewish disciples and saying, I must needs go through Samaria, their ears are pricking up. No one needs to go through Samaria. No one wants to go. What are you doing, Jesus? Why in the world would you go through Samaria? He says, I must needs go. It was the most direct route. In fact, the Jewish people would, would go around Samaria. They would go miles out of their way just not to go through Samaria. And if they were on a GPS, you know how the GPS comes up with three different options, which is the fastest route, which is the the recommended route. They would select the option that was the longest route. They would go all the way around Samaria because they did not want to go through there. They wanted no association with him. The region of Samaria was extremely despised by the Jewish people. And so they'd take these roundabout routes. So when Jesus said, I'm going through Samaria, he had a purpose in going there. He was specifically going to Samaria for a person there. He specifically went there. And I want us just to remember this. Just like he specifically went there for this woman, he specifically came to earth for you. You say there's billions of people in the world. Yes, there is, but he specifically came for you. He specifically came for you. Now think about that. You might feel unloved. You might feel worthless. You might feel like your life is at the end. But Jesus loves you wherever you are. Wherever you are, you say, I'm in a really bad place in life. He loves you wherever you are, wherever you are. There is no place that the love of Jesus Christ does not extend to. He loves you wherever you are. You say, well, you don't know my family, pastor. He loves you wherever you are. Uh, You don't know my, my home situation. He loves you wherever you are. You don't know what, what uh, type of people I, I run with. He loves you wherever you are. He loves you, and he went to Samaria to prove that love. Philippians 2 and verse number 7, it tells us that he, he humbled himself. He, took on, he, took on, uh, he, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. You know, Jesus was in a pretty good situation in heaven, wasn't he? But yet he took on human flesh. At uh, Christmas time, we celebrate that he took on human flesh and became the God man. He entered into our world. He entered into our living. He became like us so that he could make us like God. And the Bible says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why did he do that? To come to you. To come to you where you are, specifically to you. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15, Paul's testimony, the Apostle Paul's testimony, he says it's a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why he came. He didn't come for the whole... There are people in the world right now that think by attending church, they're going to be good enough for God. That by giving money to the church, they're going to be good enough for God. By saying their prayers and, and following the golden rule and keeping the Ten Commandments, that they're going to be good enough for God. And they in the, uh, them themselves, as they stand before God, think that they are completely whole. They think they're good enough for God. Jesus did not come into the world to, to minister to the whole. He wants them, but he came into the world for sinners. People that understand, yep, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And that takes an admission that takes a humility of heart. And he came specifically to that place to that Samaritan woman, to this woman who, yes, was a sinner and needed him. So wherever we are, Jesus loves us. But whoever we are, again, let's think about this Samaritan woman. In verse number nine it says, then saith he uh, saith the woman of Samaria notice how the Bible qualifies her unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, askest.'" a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. She realized that this was out of bounds. It was not right for him to be talking to her. He was a Jew, Jew and at that he was a Jewish man, and he was not to be taught. Talk- this, this made no sense to her that he would reach out and love and in the very next verse begin to offer her something. We'll get to that in a moment. But whoever we are, Jesus loves. She was amazed that he would talk. She was amazed that she, uh, he would take time for her and for her problems. And I want you to notice some of the barriers that that Jesus uh, crossed in talking to this woman and meeting this woman and showing love to her. There was a cultural barrier that was was crossed here. In verse number 9, we find that the Jews were to have no dealings with the Samaritans. It was culturally unacceptable. So intense was their dislike of the Samaritans that some of the Jews, uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders... Prayed that no Samaritans would be raised in the resurrection. You know what that was? They're literally praying that they would spend eternity in hell. How nice is that? How, how, how big does hate have to be to wish hell on someone? But that was the Jewish people towards the Samaritans. So you understand, he crossed a big, a big divide, a big barrier. He went way out of his way. Now, we know that Jesus doesn't have that heart. Sometimes there can prejudice arise in hearts of people, and you know what? We've seen a lot of that over the past. We've seen a lot of that, and we see some of that being stirred up in society, right? You know, of all people, Christians ought to be folks that love everyone, just like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus made us all, right? Every single one of us, Jesus made. Doesn't matter how much pigment or how little pigment is in your skin, Jesus loves us all, doesn't he? And amen? amen. All right. We're all together on that. We're all we're all agreed. Jesus loves us all. And he went to this this lady in Samaria and showed that even though in our culture, there might be some cultural taboos, but Jesus would have us cross those cultural taboos and say, I love you no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter uh, who, uh, uh, how you were born or what the color of your skin is. I love you. And so there was a cultural barrier, but there's a social barrier. This lady wasn't even accepted in her own town. You know why she was out there? And I I show you here that she comes at the sixth hour of the day, 6 p.m., at an odd time of the day. She comes at this hour, and she is coming there specifically because she doesn't want to be around the other people, and the other people don't want to be around her. Why? Because she has had relationship after relationship after relationship and she has burned bridges. She has been cast aside and sometimes this lady is held as a a person that's just this horrible wicked person. The flip side of this that we ought to understand is this, this woman probably was absolutely begging for attention and begging for love and could find it in no one. And in that day she was probably kicked to the curb, kicked to the curb over and over and over again. And here we have a woman that, that Jesus meets that desperately needs the display of love from the Savior. She had a hole in her heart. She wasn't being filled with the relationships. And by the way, until you find the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never be satisfied in a relationship. Young people, could I just encourage you? The world says date around, sleep around, all that. It will never satisfy the hole in your heart that God alone can unfill. And you know what? Our world isn't any better for their doctrine. Is it now? Is the divorce rate getting lower? Does their way work? Does their way work, friends? No, it doesn't. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pushing on it. If you, if you are suffering under the pain of a relationship, you can identify with this woman who desperately needs Jesus to wrap his arms around and say, I love you. Are you with me, Christians? That's the type of Lord we serve. By the way, you can do nothing about the past. You can do everything about from here forward. Stop beating yourself up, and that's, that's not Christ. Jesus met her in her moment. He was truthful with her, was he not? <laughs> I mean, can you just imagine this, this, this exchange when he says, uh, yeah, you're not married, you've had four marriages, and the one you're living with right now isn't yours. I mean, can you imagine? Things just got real in that moment. That, that was. But Jesus confronts us so he can, uh, he can change us. And she did not... Resists against that, and, and the Bible just helps us understand that she just, okay. But here's an unsatisfied woman that is finding Jesus who crossed a social barrier to be with her that day. But she, uh, he crossed a religious barrier. Did you notice how that she was like, well, hold on, Jesus, uh, I, I assume you're a prophet. I assume you're a preacher. It seems certainly that way. Uh, and I want you to know that our fathers worshipped in this mountain. We have religious practice. Aren't you impressed? Jesus says, I'm not here to talk about all this and and accurately it says a little bit later those that worship God are not going to worship in a specific place they're going to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the word of God and through the spirit that's that's true worship and he brings her to salvation to belief in him that it's not about a location it's not about a church that you attend it's not about a religious ritual that you go through It's not about prayers to Mary. It's not about all these different religious traditions that we get involved in. It is through Jesus Christ and we worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the spirit, by the spirit, through the spirit, and according to his word, we worship him. And so he crosses religious boundary. He presents himself to her as the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by him. He's the only way, and he presents that to her. In, in John chapter number 3, if, if you read it later, you'll find this man named Nicodemus. He was a very religious man, and God showed, Jesus showed love to him and saying, hey, it isn't by your religious practice that you, uh, you come to me. You must be born again. You must believe on me, and then you'll, ha- uh, then you'll be a part of the kingdom of God. Then you'll see the kingdom of God. In John chapter 4, he goes not to a religious person. He goes to an immoral woman who's had relationship after relationship and is struggling under the weight and the hurt and the scars and the bondage of that, and says, you need me. You need the, the living water that I alone can give. And what does she say? She says, well, you don't, have a, you don't have a ladle. You don't have a rope. You don't have a cup to bear this out. How are you going to give this? He goes, you know, I'm, I'm the living water. And if you believe on me, I will give you everlasting life. And what does he offer her? He offers everlasting life. He offers eternal life. Our Lord entered into all of our normal experience of life. Just notice here, at the wellside, they need water. He enters into all the normal experiences of our life and is able to identify with us in each one of them as he did with this woman, and he offers her eternal life. He personally offers, just like he's personally offering you today, eternal life, not through a religion, not through religious practice, but through Jesus Christ himself and what he did for you at the cross what an amazing what an amazing lord that we serve what an amazing savior we celebrate today verse number 13 whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again the water in the well verse number 14 but whosoever shall drink of the water i give him shall never thirst aren't you longing for full satisfaction does not our world does not our world clamor for satisfaction right now that's why they do the things they do that's why we do the things we do Looking for satisfaction. It's not found at the shopping mall. No matter how much candy is had today, uh, the kids will not be satisfied. All ultimately, right? They'll still want more tomorrow. You know how that goes? We're not satisfied. Often kids are microcosms, but we really are, right? We're just grown up and we know how to we know how to hide it a little bit better. But the fact is, <laughs> well, you laugh because it's true. <laughs> the fact is we go from one thing. Grown-ups, we go to the store. You go to drink, go to drugs, go to relationship. I need satisfaction. Satisfaction alone comes in Jesus Christ. You'll never thirst again. And he says, when you have this water that I give, you'll have everlasting life. Jesus has no favorites. He shows that here in this passage. There's no favorites with Jesus. Well, I save these people, but I don't save these people. I, I care about the people in America, but I don't care about the people in India. No, not our Savior. Not our Savior. He has no favorites. He comes to this woman. This woman of Samaria crosses all sorts of boundaries and he loves her whoever she was. He loves her and he brings her to herself. And and, lest I leave the story undone, do you realize what happens with her? She goes back, she gets her husbands, all the ones that she had had relationships with, other townspeople, they run out to Jesus. And you know what at the end of the passage it says? It says they believed on him not for her word, not for her testimony, but because she brought them to him And he shared this message with them, and they believed on Jesus Christ. Do you realize what happens in Samaria? A bunch of people get saved. A bunch of people come to Jesus Christ and find eternal life in him. That's amazing what Jesus did here, and totally revolutionizing this woman and all of her relationships around her. Jesus loves us so very much wherever we are. Whoever we are, Jesus loves that, and he proves that by what he did at Calvary. Can we note in Romans chapter number five this morning, if you're following along in your your Bibles, the Bible tells us, yes, he lives in what he did at the cross. First of all, he died and he provides atonement. Romans five and verse number eight. But God commended his love. He showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more. The atonement, atonement means reconciliation. I want you to think about maybe a time in your life where you were broken apart. You had a a fractured relationship with somebody. You had either done something against them, you had offended them, maybe it was a, a family member, but there was a broken relationship. You didn't feel the freedom to call them. You didn't feel the freedom to drop by their house and say, hey, what's for dinner? And you just didn't feel that freedom because there was a severed relationship. All of us, because of our sin, we were severed from God in our relationship. We were, we had no reconciliation with Him. We couldn't pray to Him, though many do. Uh, their their prayers were not were not heard because of the the separation between them and God. And all of us stand in need of reconciliation. And what the Bible says there is by Jesus Christ, we have now received the atonement, the reconciliation between two on two parties um, uh, that had had enmity in between them now being reconciled and brought into a state of renewal. In fact, as you read through the Old Testament, you see all these different sacrifices that are are happening. And you see the the shedding of of innocent lambs um, to cover the sins of of man. And. All of that looked forward to the, the, what would happen at the cross one day in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ when he would shed his blood and be the, the provision of our atonement, the provision of our reconciliation between us and God. When he was at the cross, the Bible tells us in John 19 and verse number 30, when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. No, the Roman soldiers did not kill him on that day. Jesus chose to give up his life willingly. And the Bible says before he, the very last words he said, before he gave up the ghost, before he gave up his life for you and for me, before he laid it down for us, he says, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He was only starting what he was going to do throughout all of our lives. What an amazing savior he has. What was he doing? It was finished. He had made the full payment of our sin. In fact, at that moment, the Bible says over in the temple, the veil between uh, the place where the presence of God dwelt, the holy of holies, and the holy place where where the the acts of of sacrifice and so on were, were given to the Lord, the veil in between that separated man from holy God was rent from the top to the bottom, declaring to all men that it is finished, that you now can come into the presence of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people would say, amen. He paid the full price of our sin. Not half of it. It does not say that, that uh, by him we are having atonement over time. It is we have now received. It is a point in time that we receive this atonement, this reconciliation. He paid the full price to everyone that would believe on him. And every person needs the atonement. The next verse after that says... As by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so that death passed upon all men for that all have sin. We all need his atonement. I need reconciled with God. If you're not reconciled with God, the the whole point of today's service is to beg you. And I do mean that word, to beg you to be reconciled to God. You should not go one more day at enmity with your, uh, your creator God. Not one more. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. You don't know. You say, I'm young. You don't know if you have cancer. You don't know if there's going to be a car. You don't boast yourself of tomorrow. You don't know what is coming down this week. You should be right with God. You should have reconciliation with God. Jesus already provided it. It's been paid in full. How many of you uh, go and shop at like a Costco or a Sam's Club? All right. So many of you, But you all, you all know the drill. Even, even in Walmart's doing this now. Um, so when we're going out of costco in particular not so much sam's club that they they aren't as sweet to the children as they are over costco they they like to make the kids day over the costco and so you're walking out and my kids always ask dad can i do the receipt what do you want to do with the receipt it's a you know worthless piece of paper can i do the receipt and so they ask for that and on our way out you you get in that line and you have all of your your things that you paid for and you get in that line and you go up to this, these two folks that are there at the, the exit doors and they grab the receipt and then they begin looking over your cart. What are they doing? Making sure that everything that's in the cart has been paid for, right? You know what? My children go up, give that receipt. You know what they do? They just wait with bated breath for what happens next. That, that person, if they're having a good day, puts a smiley face on there and gives it back. Some of them do some real nice art. You know, they, they scribble out a face with, you know, a nose and everything and not just a smiley face. They, they put some work into it. It's the worst day when one of those, those, those folks checking out at the door, uh, don't do that. My kids are dejected. I mean, it's just, it ruins. Like, this is sad. Please just put a smiley face on the receipt for the kid. Take some time. But regardless, uh, it, it's special to them. But you know what? It's a beautiful picture of this. My kids did not pay for that. They have a receipt that is marked with a smiley face that indeed the full payment for that cart has been paid in full. And they have that receipt in hand. And friends, I want you to know, you, through the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for you at the cross, when you personally receive it by faith, you have a receipt that is marked, paid in full. And you can go to God, the Heavenly Father, he looks down on this and it is fully satisfying to him. That is amazing. That is the love of God. And because Jesus lives, you can have that. You don't have to go on through life unsatisfied. You don't have to go through life continually bearing the weight and the bondage and the shackles of your sin. They're heavy, aren't they? The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. There's anxiety. There is is addiction. There is is sleepless nights. There is haunting thoughts in your mind of all the sin that you still bear the weight for. I, I can't tell you how many times I have people come to me and say, I'm just so tired of this you don't have to Jesus already went to the cross and paid for every sin that burdens you and gives you guilt everyone it's been paid in full but you have to you have to take the receipt just like a uh, boldly you can have that receipt it's been paid in full when you accept it to yourself personally you know there's a lot of folks that believe everything that we've said but they have not yet received it to themselves personally maybe you're here like that today Receive it to yourself personally and know that it is paid in full. But notice his death provides atonement, reconciliation, but his resurrection provides assurance. How can you know that this this Christianity thing is is real? I mean, there's so many religions, and don't you think that Satan would like to confuse all of Earth's population about who God is and what is the true way to heaven? Don't you think he would like to do that? I think he would. It seems that that's a pretty good plan to get a lot of people in hell. I'm, I'm real there. I'm, I mean, that's, that's just the reality. We are in a spiritual battle here in, in this world in this day. But there is one way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. And by his resurrection, he conclusively proved, I'm not like Buddha. I'm not like Mary. I'm not like any of the other gods. I am not, I am not like Muhammad. I'm not, I am none of these. I rose from the dead. In fact, if you think about it, all around the world, there's many famous tombs. There's the Taj Mahal that is a, a tomb that is, was made in, in, as a, one of the seven wonders of the world to an emperor's wife. There's the pyramids that mark the great, the great kings of Egypt. Arlington National Cemetery has grave upon grave of many heroes that have served our country well. But you know what all those are famous for is who is inside the tomb, who is there. But you go over to Jerusalem and you look into the garden tomb, not the the church of the tomb, but the garden tomb, and you see there on the door, he is risen. He is not here. He is risen indeed. And it is famous because not who's in it, but who's out of it. It's empty today. And friends, do you realize that provides conclusive proof that Jesus Christ wasn't a liar? If he didn't rise from the dead, he was a lunatic. He was a liar and a lunatic. But he rose from the dead. You say, well, hold on. I want you to notice the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 that he was seen of Peter. He was seen of the 12. He was seen of the women. And you know what? In a court of law, you needed two witnesses to prove something. Same in today's uh, day. And when someone says, it's my word against yours, it's not a good situation, right? But when there's a witness, you know, how about in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that he was seen over 500 people at once. And you know, Paul writes that in about 60 AD. And you know what? He says this, and many are still alive to this day. 30 years after the fact, they're still alive and they're still declaring, yeah, I saw him. I saw him. Even the enemies of Jesus Christ couldn't disprove his death, uh, his resurrection. And it proves to us, he is who he says he is. Listen, if he says, I'm going to give you life, I'm going to give you eternal life, but he stayed in the grave, there is, there's nothing to be had in him. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 tells us a little bit more about that. It says in verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then he, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. I am wasting my time and your time if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Verse number 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruits of them that slept. What's the first fruit? He's a trailblazer. Because he lives, you can live. And it says in verse 21, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And that all means you. You can be made alive. And the payment has already been made. A full payment has been made for that. Jesus said in John 5:24, so it gets to the end of with that. Man there at Bethesda, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You have two choices here today Satan wants to kill you, he wants wants to bring you to hell with him. That's his destiny. Jesus wants to give you life. What will you choose? What have you chosen? You say, Well, I haven't made up my mind yet. The Bible says, right now, you dwell under condemnation. Do you know how fragile your life is? There's no doubt someone in here has experienced someone dying this week. You know how fragile life is? A phone call away. So fragile. Are you really going to continue on in your life, not receiving the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and waiting for death to become your reality? Oh, he offers life. John 3, 16, say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Because Jesus lives, he offers you life. John 10, 10, the thief is come. uh, The thief is cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. That's Satan. He wants to destroy your life. He hates you. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Isn't that great? Life more abundantly. For the wages of sin is death, on the one hand. But the gift of eternal life is Jesus Christ. Our, uh, the gift of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so it's a choice. Here it is, death or life. And so I ask you today, have you received the life that Jesus offers? Have you received that personally? It's great to celebrate it, but have you received it personally? And that's our prayer that you would today. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We believe here at Grace Baptist that it's always proper to take time to respond to the word of God. I have two burdens on my heart about how we should respond to this today. My first is to you that have not yet received Jesus Christ. How many of you say this morning, Pastor, I know for certain that when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven, not because I'm a good person, but because I have accepted Jesus Christ personally as my savior, I've received that life that he is offering, and I've received it, and I have that assurance in my heart. I know that Jesus Christ is my savior. Would you lift your hand to that? I know that Jesus Christ is my savior. I've received the life by faith, amen. Many, many hands. Perhaps this morning you could not raise your hand or you're questioning, oh, should I? I I think I do, but I don't know. Could I talk to you for a moment? Could I encourage you that receiving this life is not some mystical thing? God says if you believe in your heart that you're a sinner and that Jesus Christ, the God-man, came in, died in your place, taking the full penalty of your sin at the cross, if you believe in what he did, if you say, yes, I accept that, I accept what you did on my behalf. He says, You will be saved. It says it this way in Romans 10 13, For whosoever, that's you, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall ask, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Acts 16 31, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Maybe right now in your seat there, you're saying, You know what? That's me today. I, I realize my need to receive Jesus Christ personally. Now my prayer does not save you. But from your heart you could pray something like this and say, "Yes, I Jesus, I do need you and I do accept this life." Maybe you'd pray a prayer like this, "Dear Jesus, I believe in my heart that you are God. I believe that you died for all of my sins and rose again. I confess to you that I am a sinner." And I ask you to be my personal Savior right now. I place 100% of my trust in you, all of my trust in you, to come into my life, to give me your new life, and to take me to heaven someday. I accept, I receive your free gift of eternal life. Thank you for keeping your promise in answering this prayer. With your heads bowed and still in an attitude of prayer, could I ask, is there someone here today that would say, Pastor, from my heart, not because of what you prayed, but from my heart, I've, I acknowledge my need and I, I ask Jesus Christ to give me that life today. Would you be willing to put your hand up and say, yes, that's, that's what I did. I prayed that and I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior in this moment. Amen, I see that hand. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. I prayed that. Not because you prayed it, but I prayed it from my heart. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. You know, I wonder if you're still wrestling with it this morning, friend. I wonder if you would would allow us to help you to go further. Help answer some questions. Maybe there's some things I didn't address in the message today and you're really wrestling with it. Or maybe you think you're not you you can't receive this you're not worthy of it could we could you allow us to help you we want that when this invitation's over it won't be over you can always you can always call us we'll be around after the service in fact i'm going to be right here at the front of the auditorium until everyone is out of here and i'll be available to talk to you and connect you with somebody but we want to answer those questions could i s- ask one more thing i'm 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 so very grateful for those that said, I, I prayed that, I've received that life today. Praise God, praise God. And I'd love to meet you right afterwards. But maybe you've been far from the Lord. Maybe this is, this is your first time back, not to church, but this is your first time getting back to close to God. Like this is the first step you've taken in a while. And you feel like, boy, I, I have been distant, but today I'm coming back. Can I remind you of a verse in scripture? Colossians 3 and verse number one. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. If you have the eternal life in Jesus Christ, your life isn't to be seeking these things in this world, but to be seeking Jesus Christ. i many going to say, Pastor, this morning, on this Easter, I'm getting close to God again. I'm taking some steps back to God again. That's my testimony today. I'm, taking, I'm, I'm done with looking at this world. I'm done with getting all frustrated with this world. I'm taking some steps back to God. And you say, that's my testimony this morning. Would you raise your hand to that? Amen. Amen. I encourage you to, right now in the quiet of this moment, right there in your seats, I'm just going to encourage you to pray. Talk to God for a moment. Talk to God. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.